Well, I have to say this is the first time I've read the story of David and Goliath from the standpoint of the giant. Uh, our story this morning is embedded in the larger story of David and Goliath. This is the story of David's arrival at the camp where his three older brothers were stationed with the army and where every day this Philistine giant Goliath would come out and taunt the Israeli army. David took exception. His brothers were upset with him. But the king, Saul, heard about it. And then David suggested he was willing to go down and face the giant. So we pick up the story there. I invite you to listen for God's word. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no one's heart fall because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Well, Saul said to David, You're not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're just a boy. And he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep the sheep for his father. And whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw and strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor, and he tried in vain to walk, for he was not used to them. And then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I'm not used to them. So David removed them. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? O Lord, we have come here to receive your word. We ask now that quite apart from all the preparations and the efforts to understand and reveal it, that by the power of your Spirit you would make yourself known and that your truth would come through. For we pray in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. This season of the year summer is the wedding season. I've had a number of weddings in the last several weeks, and inevitably at weddings, at the reception, I get asked questions. 
about what it's like to be a minister. There's a question that people ask ministers all the time, according to Tom Long, and it's been asked of me from time to time. And even though we're asked it frequently, we never seem to quite get used to the question. It catches us a little off guard, and it leaves us just a little unsettled, maybe even just a little embarrassed. Because the question usually comes in one of those unguarded moments. You're at a party, you're standing there near the hors d'oeuvre table, and you're just about to slide your chip into the guacamole dip when somebody next to you says, you know, there's something I've just been dying to ask you. How did you choose the ministry? And part of the awkwardness in that question is that you don't really know whether they're expressing curiosity or sympathy. (laughs) It's sort of like, you poor person, you seem fairly normal. How did you happen to end up in ministry? Did you get turned down from law school or medical school or something? And we all have our responses and our reasons for responding to God's call. But that's actually part of the embarrassment because we're never sure that our story is going to actually add up to the expectations of the person who's asking the question. Sometimes people have this expectation that God's call on your life is going to be like some Cecil B. DeMille movie. Some Damascus Road blinding light experience. And more often than not, it's far less dramatic than that. But even when we've done our best to answer the question, to explain our decisions and to be as clear and logical about how we chose the ministry Even when we've done our best to tell our story, we know that we've not told the whole truth. Because there is something irrational about being in ministry. Something that just doesn't logically compute. There's this mystery at the center of it all, and the fact remains we do not choose the ministry The ministry chose us. We're somehow chosen for it. Now the mystery of those decisions that define us is what our text is about this morning. David had quite a story to tell about his defining moment in the valley against this Philistine giant So standing over the guacamole dip some years later, he probably told his questioners about his story and held their attention for a lot longer than I can over the guacamole. For David had to face a huge adversary, this great giant that defined him. And at the heart of David's description and the stories of countless others is the conviction that something outside of us has summoned us. Whatever was inside was beckoned by something outside of us, and like David, we're called by the Lord to a place and to a life and to confront some challenge that we were not particularly interested in pursuing. 
For me, the best I could describe it years ago was I came to the conclusion I cannot not do this. Now, how's that for a double negative? I was a teenager when I first sensed that the Lord was at work in my life in some kind of mysterious way. And I believe David must have concluded on that day, I cannot not do this. What I didn't know at the time is that God always calls the unqualified people. David was the youngest of eight brothers, a teenager, a kid who was left home to tend the sheep. Surely the older, the taller, the more handsome brother was the one that God would choose. He was a soldier, after all. He knew more about foreign and domestic policy. How could this kid, this teenager, be the instrument of God's addressing this great threat to the nation? Don't ever discount yourself. God always calls those of us like you and me who are unqualified to do remarkable things. Now, this story is in reality less about the action itself. It wouldn't, I mean, it'd be, be a great Cecil B. DeMille De movie later, but not in this particular text. The action only occurs after this text. This passage that I just read is about the tensions and the anxieties that exist when you confront an adversary that holds the upper hand. It's as much a story about human calculation in a world where God is perceived to be non-existent as it is about the courage of overcoming overwhelming odds. Any one of us who has faced cancer or Alzheimer's disease or an abuser or has, to ha has had to challenge a boss or faced some injustice in the community knows about the anxieties and the tensions that exist when you're faced with a power dynamic that favors the adversary. There are those who use their power to intimidate us and to coerce others. Sometimes it's a parent or an employer or a coach or a spouse or a supervisor or a priest. Or it may be a disease. It may be the pressure of a peer group in school. It may be just the way things are that kind of intimidate us into some passivity about life. We all face situations and people in our lives that cause us to recoil, that intimidate us because they have the upper hand, psychologically and physically. And left to our own devices, we may look for the nearest exit. We may withdraw altogether, preferring to avoid the problem rather than confront it. And the fascinating thing for me in this text is that in a worldview without God, 
Individuals and entire communities become paralyzed by what they fear might happen. In sizing up the situation, they forgot to include the living God in their calculation. But not David. He had learned in small and insignificant ways of the faithfulness of God. And so he was prepared to step onto a much larger stage with a much larger adversary. You see, the story of David and Goliath is about unexpected outcomes and the shifting balance of power from those whose strength comes from their size and those whose strength comes from above. Life can never be weighed only in the scales of power and might. What comes from above outweighs what comes from below. And the story of David is an encouragement to everyone, especially young people, to approach life with faith and not fear. Because it is what is within our minds and hearts that limits us more than anything else. Every generation should be encouraged by this story of this teenager taking on the giant that paralyzed an entire nation with a strategy that never occurred to those who are supposed to know about such things. Can't you just imagine this shepherd boy wearing the king's sword and breastplate and helmet, hopelessly oversized, this will only get in my way. This only restricts my ability to get the job done. I love the way that for new generations, they forever find new ways to reject the attempts of their parents to instruct and assist them. Have any of you, like me, purchased anything on Amazon lately? Or gotten a ride with Uber? Some very interesting new developments that have occurred that are simpler ways of doing things. Now, according to Walter Brueggemann, this Old Testament scholar, there's a contrast in our story between the helpless Saul, who himself was about my size, and the triumphant David. Between the faithless and frightened troops and David's simple faith and boldness and lack of intimidation. Goliath's confidence in the story is based upon his size and his power. But David's is based upon the reality and the presence of God. So David only really appears to stand there armed only with his courage and faith and a few good stones. To the Philistines, he was unarmed. But to the faithful, he had behind him the resources of Almighty God. So the story contrasts the faithlessness of those who only see obstacles in life with the simple faith of an adolescent who perceives God is present 
but God just hasn't weighed in on the situation yet. So in a world that is calculated only in terms of might makes right, and where those with the most power and strength are what matters most, individuals and complete armies become paralyzed in the face of uneven odds. What is it about a world understood only in terms of what's humanly possible that leaves us so unnerved and unable to confront the problems and deal with the issues that we face? David introduces into this narrative the idea that he and the people of God are not alone in facing dilemmas. God has not left them. God has not forsaken them. And the giant in front of them is no match for the God behind them. And that little insight places David in the situation with a completely different understanding of his place in the world. It's not that God is expected to take care of the issue like some cosmic hero who saves the day. David's not passive, and he's not anticipating that there's nothing for him to do. On the contrary, his faith motivates him to plan, to prepare, to plot, to calculate, and to choose wisely the stones that he's going to pick up and put in his satchel, those stones that have just the right smoothness and just the right weight, to fly straight and true from his slingshot. So the problems will not be resolved by God alone, but the outcome is in God's hands. And therefore David is free and we are free to enter into the realm of decision-making even when we're confronting powers above us and beyond us, outmatched and outnumbered, we can enter those situations with faith and not be intimidated. Whether the giants in your life and our lives are people or powers that we can't control, we can find faith and courage to confront what we fear and to entrust the outcome into the hands of God. We may not be able to reinvent our lives, but we can reinvent ourselves in life by God's grace and by God's guidance. Today there's a movement in our culture to simplify life. You click around on the websites and you'll find all sorts of advice on how to deaccumulate in your life. Reduce your stuff so you can live a more frictionless life. 
Be more with less is one of the chants I found. Hack away at the unessential is the advice from the deceased Bruce Lee. Declutter your life by owning less. Stop multitasking. Be debt-free. Limit negativity. Give back. Well, it seems to me that David understood this long ago as a teenager. He didn't need all the stuff they were trying to tell him he needed. It only weighed him down. It only restricted his movement. What he needed more than anything else was the courage that comes from faith. And then just a few good stones. I sometimes wonder how many of those good stones I've overlooked in my life because my gaze was fixed upon the armor I thought I needed. I've set out to build an arsenal of protection around myself and my family, complete with a lot of stuff and security systems to protect it all, and a diversified portfolio just in case there's a possible downturn in the economy. And David's story reminds me that life is lived best when we have the courage of our convictions and we're willing to face the challenges before us with the faith that God is still with us. Simple things like courage, and kindness, and integrity, and character, and honesty. These are the smooth stones, the most important weapons we need to face our giants. It's really not all that complicated. Now, armor is okay as far as it goes, but it won't save you. Only the Lord can do that. And all you really need is a few good stones and the courage that comes from faith in Christ. So what giant is intimidating you this morning? What adversary holds the upper hand in your life today? We all face situations and people in our lives that cause us to recoil that intimidate us because they have the upper hand psychologically and physically. And left to our own devices, we may look at the nearest exit and we may prefer to withdraw altogether. We'd rather avoid the problem than confront it. But I'm beginning to learn in my life and faith what Paul was talking about in the New Testament and what David exemplifies in the Old Testament when Paul writes, I've learned to be content, whatever I have. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. So maybe your story and David's story are really not all that different. Face the giants in your life 
and trust the outcome to God. And who knows? The next time you're at a party, standing near the hors d'oeuvre table, just about to slide your chip into the guacamole, and somebody asks you, there's something I've been dying to ask you. You may just have a story to tell about your faith and God's faithfulness. Thanks be to God. Amen.